Welcome to Confidently Wrong. This is our ninth episode, and it's going to be a packed show. I'm your host, Wesley Nakamura, and as always, I'm joined by Mike Smith, Brian Redondo, and Savon Jones, a.k.a. Captain Vani. Why does he get an a.k.a.? <laughs> Today's show will take us wonderful and exciting, glorious places. You want Xbox Series X news, PS5 launch news, hands-on reactions? We've got you. You want some Mandalorian updates? Double check. You want to dissect the NBA bonanza that's going on right now? We've got your back. This show might go a little longer than usual, and it's going to be so much fun. So let's dive right in. First up, we'll start in the usual place. It's a segment we like to call What We're Loving. So, Savon, kick us off. What are you loving this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of love in the air, a lot of love <laughs> around. Uh, what I am loving this week is... There's this YouTube channel I've been watching called uh, Stuntmen React, but I think the um the Corridor Crew, the YouTube channel, but they basically have either stunt people come in, but they're a team of VFX artists. They do breakdowns of like the visual effects from scenes, movies, TV shows. I know diddly squap out that stuff, so watching experts break it down is just super cool. And like as a layperson, like I like seeing how the special effects work for all my favorite media. I'm loving their stuff corridor crew check them out mike anything going on this week so there's there's a few things first of all um we we're kind of in a bit of a show you know in that weird show intermediary period where you, you like don't have anything to like watch as you're watching dinner so we're what we've been this is you and you this and is the, me uh, and anna. this is me and, okay. and my anna not brian's anna. all right um in case you were better be <laughs> wait we still uh, haven't confirmed whether or not they're two people. Have you seen them in the <laughs> same room at the same time? No. I know. Never. I have. Never. Anyway, we started The Great British Baking Show, which oh, okay. I've heard a ton about. I like general, like any kind of competition show. The thing about this show is it's very British in that, first off, there's no cash prize. So like that, it's not like most American game shows where everything is always a cash prize, regardless of how innocuous the skill is, there's always a cash prize. That show is literal, just like the best amateur bakers. And you would think like, oh, it's British. They're polite. It's such like nice, happy music. That shit is, that's stuff is so intense <laughs> that like you're on the edge of your seat and like Anna, like got really attached to this old dude. I think his name was like Walter or something. And she's sitting there like with her hands over her eyes, like as he's getting voted off. And it's fun because I can like, I don't know like anything about bacon. I'm like, damn, look at that crumb. Like there is no <laughs> way Mary is going to have anything to do with that. And the judges are just this like really old, like what I imagine to be posh lady. And then this like, like middle aged, like cougar plus like 75 pounds kind of dude, not Cougar, George Clooney kind of guy. Like if George Clooney just is a professional baker, so he's eating baked goods all the time. And he's pretty tough. Like he's a Simon Cowell character and he's like tears people to shreds, but it's a cool show. Highly enjoy it. And the last thing I need to shout out, and this is going a little, little long, but I need to shout this out, is like since I got this fancy TV, it's been a pain in the butt to calibrate and there's been a few like channels that have been really clutch and the one i want to shout out is hd tv test it's this guy who's just like straight to the point but he has like a really dry sense of humor if you get any kind of like good tv at any point and you're not sure how to calibrate it 
check him out. It's such a solid channel. It's like straight to the point and it's really refreshing on like YouTube when a, like the first five minutes of a video are just people like shouting out their own channel. So HDTV, <laughs> HDTV test is definitely a must see if you get any kind of good TV in the next few years. Will you watch his show without having to calibrate your TV again? No, no. And it's so annoying because now it's like, oh, well, this is like a darker, you know, like black point. So now I need to go in and adjust it for this thing. So it's just like you spend a bunch of money on the TV and you think like, oh, I can just like relax now and enjoy it. It's like, nope, like you go down the rabbit hole of spending more. Big mind. Uh, Mike, real quick. Are you going starting at the season one of like 15 seasons of this British Bake Off show? Or are you starting somewhere like in the middle? I could literally do five minutes about like the different seasons. It's such a challenge. As an American, you don't have access to seasons one or two. Seasons three is its own thing on Netflix. And then on, if you just search Great British Baking Show on Netflix, it's collections, not seasons. Um, And collection one is season four. Collection one rocks. It's really good. It's the first one we watch. And it's like a starting point I'd recommend for anybody. But it's like, I'm doing all this research to enjoy my TV. I'm doing all this damn research to enjoy the Great British Baking Show. It's like, <laughs> I can't just sit down and enjoy my things. I have to like obsessively Google them to make sure I'm doing it right. <laughs> fair, fair. Oh, that's great. All right, Brian, anything, uh, anything on your plate this week? Uh, there's a lot of TV that I've been loving. Uh, you know, Fargo nailed it, uh, which is a counterpart. Uh, to the Great British Bake Off. But the one show that I want to call out uh, is an animated show called Primal on Adult Swim. Uh, actually, the formal title is Gendy Tar- Tarkovsky's Primal. Oh. And Gendy Tarkovsky is known for Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, uh, and Star Wars Clone Wars. The first uh, one. The, the first, first animated Clone series. One. The first, not not the the one with Ahsoka and everything. The the one that came out when the movie came out. Yeah, it's yeah. Like fully mm-hmm. deep, the OG one. Yeah, and it his his fingerprints are all over Cartoon Network's you know biggest shows. Uh, but this Primal series I want to mention uh, just came out this year, and in October they released the second half of the first season, and it was just announced it got renewed for season two. And I think this is a this is like high high watermark uh, American animation that I, I think people need to watch. It's basically about a Neanderthal man and a dinosaur, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, roaming the savage wild world of Jurassic era, prehistoric era Earth, and just trying to survive episode to episode. And there's absolutely no dialogue. <laughs> it's almost entirely action, and it's phenomenal. Did he do uh, so Samurai Jack? He did. Yeah. Okay. okay. That that is his his other masterpiece, uh, which I I actually haven't watched. So masterpiece in quotes for all of you. So <laughs> the, the the T Rex and the guy are homies. Like that's the focal point of the show. They, they're homies. I don't want to spoil the first episode, but. Uh, a twist of fate brings them together and and they become adventure buddies throughout the entire series and they communicate through grunts and growls <laughs> and maybe maybe like a little love tap every now and again so it's like the mandalorian but with dinosaurs 
Yes, and which is why I bring it up because I had a huge <laughs> criticism for the Mandalorian last time, and I couldn't help but think of how great Primal is <laughs> relative <laughs> to that other Disney show uh, as I was watching it. It's like, dude, like forget Baby Yoda. What if we replaced it with a dinosaur? <laughs> a T-Rex, not just any dinosaur, a T-Rex, a Frisian, a Fudgeon T-Rex. <laughs> That's one. That <laughs> that terrorizes other other crazy animals in this world. There's like woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and other even larger dinosaurs. It, it's great. All right, Wesley, what are you loving? Yeah, so I'm laughing because um, the audience doesn't really know that we're trying not to curse, and we've already like in the first eight minutes we're at two. two in there. Yeah, we're yeah. at two. <laughs> so how do you hype uh, something up about curse? Audio members, you know? There will be (laughs) beeps. We're going to try. We're trying our best, guys. Um, So what am I loving? Um, This came across my Twitter feed. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. I think it was today. In GQ, Taylor Rooks, who I've never heard of, but seems like a pretty good writer, he was embedded in the NBA bubble over the summer and wrote about his experience and his interactions with the players. And so, you know, from a journalist, you, you don't get to spend that much time with players in this fashion and get to see them kind of what they're doing. And so he kind of gives a little peek behind the uh, the curtain about how the players were during the bubble and the things that they were doing, the things that they were saying, um, and what what everybody is kind of experiencing um, at, at you know the whatever camp campus they were at, um, the Grand Destino Hotel. I don't even know what that means. He so, he uh, interacted with players. Yeah, he was actually in in the like what he called the tier one bubble. Yeah. So he had to do all the same things the players yeah. did in terms of testing every single day. Um, but he, that meant he was, you know, in the same hotel rooms. He was in the lobby yeah. and all of that. Um, so he kind of gives his like on the ground perspective and it's it's really interesting. Um, and just like super well written. It's compelling. He has a lot of like funny, a lot of like vulnerable moments from the players, um, just stuff that you just wouldn't get in any other situation in very many situations. Um, loved it. Can't recommend it highly enough. It's uh, on GQ's website. It's by Taylor Rooks. And the title is um, The Most Magical Place on Earth Inside the Great NBA Bubble Experiment. So. We're all into PlayStation, all four of us, and a couple of us are into Switch, um, but none of us are really tapped into the Xbox ecosystem. Um, So we're lucky enough to bring you some of that tasty Xbox content um, in this show. So let's find out what you Xbox fanboy and fangirls are in for when you upgrade to the next-gen console. Our guest today is a friend and co-worker of mine. Uh, we work together. He is a tech head. He's always got some brand new gadget to show off. So last night, uh, you texted me a picture, um, and I'm, I'm going to leave out his name just, just for a second. He texted me a picture of this darkly stained bookshelf cabinet situation. On it is a picture of like a coffee book, um, coffee table book of Texas Rivers. If I zoom in, I can see a, a wedding picture uh, looking pretty much the same as he does today, but it's like a gold and silver frame, nicely done. But what sits in front of this wedding picture is really the actual story here. You, sir, and this is friend of the show, BK, have managed to procure an Xbox Series X. 
And uh, I don't know if you've heard how the PS5 launch has gone in terms of trying to get them into people's hands. Um, but what was your experience in getting an Xbox perched on this lovely uh, handcrafted wooden cabinet of yours? And secondly, has your wife yet filed for divorce because she's never going to see you again anyways? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, hello, my friends and, and listeners. I've uh, been enjoying y- y'all's show, so appreciate being on here. Let's see. First things first. Um, yeah, there's no better spot to put an Xbox Series X than in front of your uh, wedding photo, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so my wife knew exactly what she was getting into when, uh, when she married me. Um, yeah, she used to play Halo, Halo 2. Uh, she was a teacher also, and I would come home and uh, she would be playing Halo 2 online. Uh, so she, you know, she, she kind of, uh, games when she, when she, she gets it, can. yeah, she gets it. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I was probably the same as you guys, uh, and I know y'all were trying to get uh PlayStation fives, but I was like the day of pre-ordering, uh, you know, Best Buy, GameStop, Walmart, all the, the pages open trying to, you know, F5 or whatever, trying to get, get a pre-order in no luck on either of them. And then randomly I saw that Costco <laughs> of all places had an Xbox and you have to have a, mem- a membership there, which we do. Um, Did Costco make you buy eight Xboxes? You know, max <laughs> exactly. Pack yeah. 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 Did you um, did you order it online and go pick it up or was it shipped to your house? No, it's all shipped. All shipped. Yeah. Nice. So it delivered. When did it actually get delivered to your doorstep? I know. So Wednesday, uh, the, Wednesday. So the, okay. the launch, launch was like on was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. November uh, was that 11th uh, or 10th. Yeah. I'm not as plugged into the Xbox world. Was it at what it, were you lucky to get one or does it seem like most people who are trying to get one have been able to? I feel like it was pretty similar. Uh, I mean, they were they were all sold out. Um, and I know uh, Xbox just announced that they this was like the biggest launch of, you know, all of their systems ever. And that they they grew seventy uh, percent new new um, I, I guess uh, accounts uh, accounts. Yeah. So of the the launch, there was like seventy percent new accounts created. Uh, which is is wild because you know when when I got mine I I just log into my same account and everything transfers over so uh, that that was kind of crazy to me to, to think that there's like seventy percent new people joining Xbox. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem. It seems like the people who are so hyped to get it on the first day are probably not going to be brand new. Right. Xboxes yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how they got that. <laughs> I mean, also for the listeners, BK is wearing the the like most heinous. Like, or not heinous. It, it's just very obnoxious uh, Xbox shirt going on. It's it's Listen, lime green with huge letters across the front. Where did you so, pick this shirt up? What's the story behind this? The confidently wrong staff are all very staunchly PlayStation. So I, I feel like uh, I had to bring the Xbox like passion and love. Uh, and and I, I have a PlayStation too. I have, I have everything, uh, you know. But um, no, I got this from uh, a few years ago from the the Microsoft or like the Xbox, you know, um, apparel store or whatever. So you've gotten a chance to, I guess, fire it up, test it out a little bit. Um, what stood out to you the most so far about the newest generation of Xbox, the Xbox Series X? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I would say, first of all, you know, a little underwhelmed with, uh, because there wasn't, you know, any, there wasn't like a big, you know, game that I was super excited about playing, you know, that was brand new, uh, to Xbox, like PlayStation has, uh, Miles Morales and, uh, and some other ones. Um, so, but, uh, I'm the type of gamer that like, I, I typically, uh, I'm a, 
fairly thrifty gamer, so I don't uh, typically buy like the games brand new. I wait a few months, they come on mm-hmm. uh, on sale. And so I'm always kind of behind um, a little bit of the, the uh, zeitgeist with, with gaming. Um, I'm, so, I'm kind of in both camps. It depends on, on the game. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The same. Um, but for me, so, but, but, but I am, I mean, it, it is my big hobby and passion. So I want to play uh, on, you know, with the best graphics and with, you know, the best performance and all that kind of stuff. So uh, for me, it was, you know, it was firing up some of the the games. Well, Destiny 2 launched the same day, the, the new expansion Beyond Light. And I, I'm a big Destiny fan, so I definitely played that. Uh, but that it didn't have all the like the Series X enhancements for when it launched. That, that's supposed to come out, I think, in December. So, so it's still an Xbox One. Uh, yeah, it's basically, basically backwards compatible. Yeah, um, but it obviously loads really fast. So that 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 was the 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 main thing that I noticed was just you know I mean it's 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 very clear <laughs> how how much quicker everything loads up. And then I didn't uh, I don't know why if it wasn't working right, but um, you know it's got the quick resume feature, um, mm-hmm. but. Destiny wasn't quick resuming. Uh, it's also a live act, uh, a live game, so you know it kind of boots you from the server if you're uh, inactive. Uh, but I was flipping in between some other games, and it, I wasn't seeing the quick recovery or quick hmm. uh, resume feature. Um, but last night, uh, it looks like there was it was updated or something uh, because I was showing my wife and uh, uh, the, uh, Star Wars. Um, well, now I'm forgetting uh, what was it, it came out last year, but. Um, Fallen Order, I think it's made by Respawn, the guys that do Apex. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, it's on Game Pass now, and I had uh, played that, and I was gonna show her, and I, I flipped over, and it popped up a little message and said "Quick Resume," and I mean instantly it was back in the game, like right where you left it off. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I think that that is, you know, uh, I, I was listening to y'all's podcast from last week and I don't remember who said it but they were like I, you know I don't really know why that's a, a big deal and yeah. I'm here to leave tell it you, to Mike to be a hater of any Xbox feature <laughs> was that Mike uh, I'm here to tell you that that is a big deal especially for families because what ends up happening in my family is my oldest is nine-year-old uh, and I've got a four-year-old and uh, you know we'll, we'll play games and we'll play more like kid-friendly games uh, which game pass is awesome because we get to try all sorts of uh, games and not, you know, have to commit to buying them. And then, you know, when they go to bed at night, then I can play my more uh, mature games <laughs> or whatever. And yeah. um, that was awesome because, you know, I, we can just, you know, I click a button and I'm instantly into that, that next game. And that was kind of like a revelation to me because I always say like the, the kids, they have all the time, uh, but they have no money. You know, like our, our students, I look, <laughs> right. I look at them and they put, you know, sink hours and hours into Apex. You, you do that too, you know? Yeah. Um, when you're grinding you, a little bit on Apex. Yeah. As, as you get older, you know, you, you don't have as much time, but you have more money, right? So um, to me, time is so precious. And if, you know, if I, if I can just instantly switch into another game and be gaming, like that, that's a huge deal to me. Um, so I, I have really been noticing and, and enjoying that part of it. That's awesome. Oh, you also mentioned um, that you wanted to buy a PS5. Why Why the wish for dual systems? Because I, I don't think that's like super common. I mean, you know, obviously there's a, there's a money component, but, you know, for you, what's the, what's the draw to having both systems? Yeah, so for, so for me, I mean, I, I, I do have all three systems. I've got the Series X now, I've got the PlayStation 4 Pro, and I have a, a Nintendo Switch. And I've always, I mean, for a long time, I've been gaming on all three different systems. PlayStation, I, I go to PlayStation for their, you know, their first party exclusive titles. 
you know, Last of Us, and then uh, I've been making my way through Ghost of Tsushima. But Xbox is where I go for all like third party games. And, you know, another thing that I uh, I don't think has come up, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, you know, all of the controllers for Xbox One, the headsets, uh, everything is automatically compatible with uh, Series X. That is a huge deal if you're a family of gamers because I literally have like six or seven Xbox controllers, you know, that that we've used or purchased over the, the last generation. And all of those work for Series X. And, you know, there's a lot of really positive buzz about the PlayStation 5 controller. But, yeah, huge, um, um, huge positive reaction from uh, the, the tech reviewers out there. Yep, but I can't help but, um, you know, when I think about that, that's that's really cool, and I, you know I'm going to get that, and it's going to apply to their first party games. But if you're a third party developer and you're de- you know designing games for both systems, and the Xbox doesn't have that, my feeling just like the Switch, the Switch had like HD Rumble, and they were all uh, hyping this. I don't know if you remember this, and they released you know a few games at the very beginning of their console generation, you know where you could like sense how many marbles were in the the Switch controller depending on how you moved it and stuff like that. Uh, there was all these like little mini games, and mm-hmm. then l- literally nothing. Like all of the new uh, <laughs> Nintendo games. I mean, Nintendo's not even really using that feature, and so I I kind of I think it's what PlayStation doing is really cool. Uh, and I, I obviously I don't have hands on or anything, but I wonder if it's really going to be used across all of the games. And I think it's probably going to end up just being first party games that utilize that. But, you know, so I don't know that. I mean, you asked, why, why do I want PlayStation uh, 5? I mean, to me, it's uh, getting the unique experiences across all the different platforms because I, I you know, I got my Xbox shirt, but I, I love all the consoles and I think, you know, all of them have their uh, their place, you know. I think for me, you know, I, I do get to play, you know, quite a bit of PlayStation, but the thought of like trying to sink time into a PlayStation game or three and then maybe a couple of Xbox games that, you know, like Gears or, you know, something like that that you can't find on PS5 and then trying to get a Switch and then playing some Zelda or, you know, some of those um, those games would be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, where would I have time for that? I don't I don't know that I would. Well, I will say this. I don't finish a lot of games. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's always like something that I, I wish I could do more of, but that's, that's another reason why I love Xbox is because of game pass. And I, and I know that, you know, game pass is like the Netflix of games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they have all sorts of, well, first of all, they release all of their first party games directly into game pass, which I think is a huge deal. So like gears of war, halo, uh, Forza Motorsport. If you're subscribing to the service, when the new game comes out, instantly you don't have to spend sixty dollars or seventy dollars to buy that game. Oh, that's wild. It is. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like either older games or like maybe kind of their you know B tier games. No, um, so they are putting some of their their A list titles right in there. Absolutely, all of them. Yeah, anything that's published by Microsoft goes immediately uh, day one into Game Pass. Does it stay in Game Pass or do they take it out sometimes? No, that that's the other thing. Yeah, it's just permanently in Game Pass. Oh, that's pretty dope. Yeah, and and PlayStation has PlayStation Now, which is a, a similar service, except they occasionally will put you know one of their first party games in there, and then they do rotate it out. You know, it's mm. like only in there for a few months. To me, that's the the big deal. And then Microsoft also will uh, sign deals to release brand new games into Game Pass that are by third party. A lot of like indie uh, indie type games and stuff like that. Anyways, all of that being said, it makes it where because I'm paying like a, a, a very re- I mean, Game Pass is $10 a month. 
So for $10 a month, you have access to all of these games. And for someone like me that doesn't have a lot of time but uh, has a lot of interest, it works really well because I can, I can just dive into a game and play it for a few hours and, and feel like I got my money's worth out of you yeah. know, the subscription and I don't feel like I have to beat, it, beat the game or whatever, you know, finish the game. Um, so it kind of really works uh, for, you know, for people who don't have a lot of time too. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you talked about that. I see, I've never, you know, done a subscription service and, and haven't, haven't had anybody who I know who has done game pass. And so that's kind of a, a really cool perspective. I think now that you've kind of described how you use it, I'd be like, Oh, that would actually be really fitting for how I game. Like I don't like buying a bunch of games just because I don't have a zillion hours to sink into them. You know, I maybe buy two games a year or something like that. And the rest, you know, is, is just playing that game over and over and over again. So that that actually might work for someone like me who wants to, you know, just like try different games out and see what they're about and have fun with them and then not feel like I have to, you know, get my money's worth right by spending yep. 50 hours, 60 hours. But, you know, obviously the you know some of the other guys were saying they wanted to have their own game and then be able to play it over multiple, you know, months and years and come back to it. And so that, you know, then you get more value out of buying the game yourself and just having sure. it. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, the, it, it, when I, when I realized that, okay, it's $10 a month for the price of, uh, that's $120 a year, right? So for the price of two retail games, if you were, if you were going to buy two retail games a year, and Microsoft is releasing all of their first-party games directly into it. I mean, I, I looked at my, you know, I was spending easily more than that buying Microsoft games, buying the new Gears of War, or the new Forza, or whatever it was. And so I don't care if I own the game, <laughs> quote-unquote. You know, like we're just, you know, it doesn't matter anymore as long as I have access to it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, it, it's a huge um, money saver, although I don't think it's really has saved me money because then I just go and buy more games on PlayStation or, <laughs> or, or Switch or whatever. But um, but yeah, it's a great it's a great service. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Any last thoughts as you take us out? Uh, you just got you, uh, you, you got to keep representing the Xbox uh, love on the show, man. And, uh, uh, you know, Lakers are not, uh, not all that. Oh, they're amazing. <laughs> and they're going to be amazing again this year. No, I don't know. I mean, I just love the Lakers, but whether they're bad or good, I'm going to support them. So, well, I'm a Dallas Cowboys bad. fan, so I am, uh, just constantly in misery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, what was the early nineties were big for you. So yeah, exactly. We're still, we're still riding high on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. Um, hopefully, maybe we'll bring you back on for some more Xbox perspective since none of us have an Xbox. Um, although now that I've talked to you, I am a little bit interested. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I have money for it, you know, this year. But, you know, maybe a couple of years down the line, it'd be nice to throw in an Xbox and some Game Pass into my life and, uh, you know, spice up the PS4 uh, monotony a little bit. There you go. All right. All right thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Wes. Bye. All right. Well, that was fun. Savan, what stood out to you during that interview? First of all, I felt I'm glad that he reinforced the point about time being precious and being able to like the importance of wanting to be able to switch between games quickly and all that, because like we talked about that. That's a big deal to me. So I'm glad that that's a thing that's hopefully going to be with the Series X. Didn't think about the backwards compatibility point about the, the controllers. Uh especially having like kids i like he clearly has a gamer family 
that's not really my reality. So he made a very one day. One day. Eh, no, <laughs> but he but made that's a really a huge good po- deal. Yeah, he made a really good point though about how like we yeah we know that the hap- the um the the, the, the triggers for the PS5 controller might be something that's more niche for certain things. Valid point, but. Yeah, man, if you got a bunch of kids, just having an extra six controls that you know you don't have to buy that are going to work with your Series X, like, that's that's hundred, literally hundreds of dollars in value that you're saving. And, like, I respect that. I mean, he made some valid points about, like, the Series X, like, good stuff, you know? That was my main takeaway out of all of that was the hardware thing. And I think, in a way, that's kind of indicative of the whole, like, route they're going with this console generation. Because I remember like reading some post on Reddit about the PS5 and it was like, is the PS4 controller going to work with the PS5? And every comment was like so grating. It was like, no, you idiot. Like they want you to buy a new thing. What kind of business practice is it to allow you to use your old stuff to like work with the new thing? And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. Like in my like consumer capitalist self. But hearing <laughs> him and like, by the way, like that, that's great. And he did a fantastic job. And I think like I understand a lot more about someone that would want that Xbox generation. But hearing about like the hardware and kind of the game pass, like really makes you understand like why they went the route they're going to. It's full accessibility. It's like full volume like we're really just trying to get as many people onto our thing as possible so like we're going to make it as accessible as possible so it's like you can play like new games but you don't even need to buy the new like accessories it's like you don't even need to spend 70 dollars on a new game like i just spent 70 dollars on demon souls and like i'm probably not even going to finish it and he's just dropping 10 dollars a month and the quick resume even that like this whole like ecosystem they've created just seems to make a lot of sense for someone like him. And it's, I understand the main point also was that he has both consoles, but if it's something that's cross platform and on both, he's going to play it on Xbox. And I think like that is the biggest thing to take away from that is that it's something like fully geared towards accessibility. And the it's clearly very thoughtful on Microsoft's part and it benefits someone like him completely so that takes us from the xbox series x launch which occurred two days before the ps5 launch mike you were able to to grab a ps5 miraculously but that means that we can now bring your experience the ps5 experience to the people um mike tell them can you break it down for us what is it like having the hottest consumer electronics item on the planet day one? So a, f- a few things about that. First off, out of everyone I know that games, which is a lot of my, most of my close friends, I'm literally the only one that's been able to get a PS5. We Games, all tried and failed. Everyone, <laughs> multiple. You know like, shout out, shout out Curry. Like I've been helping him. Like he's, he's like on a discord, like about like all the drops and everything. And it's just like impossible. So, shout out to that. Secondly, I don't know what the reverse of a shout out is, but before I can talk about the console, like we need to talk about scalping and like bots. And I like it's almost like PS5 news right now is irrelevant compared to the fact that like everyone I know wants one and there are just people that have like 20, 30 consoles selling them for $900. So, like, just a shout out to everyone on the receiving end of that and the people that are doing that. You should look in a mirror and really think about your life. 
But the console itself, I'm very lucky to have it. And it's been a very interesting experience so far. So I got it a week after I upgraded my TV. And I kind of wanted to upgrade all of it at the same time so I can kind of take advantage of everything. The I'll start with the graphics. It's You can't really tell the difference between 4K and 1080. And anyone that says you can is it's you can't. And Donkey did a great video like where he like posted like half a screen he was like this is 1080 and the other half is 4K and he was like can you tell which is which and it turned out the whole thing was 1080. <laughs> what <laughs> really does make Wait, who is that? Who did that? Video Game Donkey. It's a really huge channel. It's hilarious. I think he's really funny. It's kind of like an absurdist take on on um, video games, he does like, reviews and things like that. It's it's an absolutely massive channel. It's really good content. But if you're not into the absurdist thing, might not be for you. But um, so that's the graphics. It's it's if you have a great um, display and you have the PS5, you will see a difference, especially if you are coming up from maybe a regular PS5. You mean a reg- coming up from a regular yeah, PS4? Yeah, any form of like significant... Okay. Like I have the smallest form of upgrade. Like I had a PS4 Pro on a decent TV, so like the TV's made quite a big of, bit of a difference, and the PS5 has made quite a bit of a difference, but the graphics is the smallest jump. And that Donkey video also like really did a great job of, of like really making you think like, like maybe you and Brian remember like the jump to like 3D gaming in like Nintendo 64. Not to like age shame you or anything, but like I was six years old. Oh no, we remember. Old. That was, was a great period. Man. I was six years old. Like this is not like if you're jumping in and expecting like it to look that like that much of a jump, you're gonna be disappointed. So when um, BK said like he was a little underwhelmed, like when it cam- comes to graphics, that's how I kind of feel like. Mm. It's solid, but it's not huge. Now, there were some moments in Miles Morales and Demon Souls where things look photorealistic. It's live gameplay, and it looks like it's a picture. That's pretty crazy, and some of the high def really does kind of like pop, and it, it is a step up. But if you're playing fast-paced games or you're playing like you're actively playing games, you're not going to notice like those really tiny things. Now there it is an upgrade, but you know just to hammer it home, that's not what you're mm. kind of buying into the next gen for. What you are buying into is the performance of these consoles, which is really, if you're paying attention, it's a complete game changer. The loading time on both of these, in my understanding, with the SSDs is is crazy. So I'm playing a game. I'm playing Demon Souls, which I'm horrible at. I'm probably gonna <laughs> give up. But I die every five minutes, and the loading times are like five seconds like ghost of tsushima which is even a ps4 game like it even it's handling even better miles morales like and we you talked about this you shouted this out months ago wesley and i'm gonna lift that up again because that was a great a great take was that <laughs> like th- there is literally an option to put in a cutscene for fast traveling because the fast travel is so fast that it can be kind of jarring and it can kind of take away from the experience because you feel like you're just jumping from place to place so did you opt in? No. Hell no. <laughs> you don't want to see him on the subway? No, Nothing I like does not care word. about the immersive experience. I, no, I mean, it's it's really crazy. And like the loading times and the fast travel times and, and how fluid everything is, that can have a huge impact on the game. So like Demon Souls, which is frustrating to begin with, because like I can just like 
die and be back playing again and in under five seconds like that completely changes the way the game functions so that's really cool um would you say that that is a what about what you expected in terms of experience has it been like that that exceeded because you can't really like anticipate that because if like my ps4 at the end of its life was so slow dude like getting into a party took like and savan knows this like and this is happening (laughs) to all of us like and i had a ps4 pro and joining a party would literally take a minute and a half like like exporting a video would literally take two three minutes like it, it the user experience was just so poor and it seems like they really invested a lot into the hardware so that everything's smoother so the menus operate seamlessly like getting into a game operates seamlessly. And the funny thing is, and I'm going to add an L on top of an L, like I said the quick resume was dumb, but now that I have this fast loading, like I'm like, oh, I have a few minutes. I just want to dive into Ghost of Tsushima, like kill a couple Mongols and then like turn off my TV or I want to switch games real quick. <laughs> so it's like... You're getting a side eye from Savan. The bloodlust <laughs> blood is coming out. Kill a few Mongols. And I totally get that. Like I have way more time than someone that has a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Like I just have my girlfriend who's like disappointed in me because I'm wearing pajama <laughs> pants at, five, at 6 p.m. and like want to like just like layer games on top of games. Living the life. But the last thing that is noticeable, most people are not going to notice 1080p to 4K, but you will notice 30 frames per second to 60 frames per second. And the ability oh, to cool. have on the pro, you did have the ability to bump up frame rates, but the ability to have 60 frames per second with base 4K, like I know I said you can't see the difference, but it does create a bit of a better experience and we're going to get games that go up to 120 frames per second. So essentially, and I think it was like Marquis Brownlee that said this, is like you're paying for like a future-ish proof console that's like a ch- way cheaper than an equivalent PC would be for those first party games. So if you're someone that like plays PlayStation a lot, if you're someone that like likes a smooth experience, then it's just like those things are really huge. Like... Shout out to like me and Savon, like we play like Warzone with a bunch of different people and the the console has now become a huge limiting factor for that kind of user hmm. experience and that loading takes forever, joining a party takes forever, exporting videos takes forever. So the console highlights. Yeah, like so we have highlights and we do, like we're killing it. I'm almost at 60 wins, but um it's just it's a much smoother experience. And the last thing I'll say is like, I had like Anna play Bug Snacks because we're talking about goddamn Bug Snacks. Um, and it's like, she's not interested. Oh no, I'm sorry. It wasn't even Bug Snacks. It was Astrobot, which oh, no, I mean, <gasps> I'm not even going to talk about. Astro's Playroom. Astro's Playroom. And she would die all the time and you load back in with no loading time, you know? So for someone like that, like the seamlessness of the experience seems natural and it's like this is the way it should be but that really just makes playing on the playstation 5 that much more engaging when you take out the load times when you have like these adaptive triggers and the controls it's just it all seems a lot more natural and it all makes things make a lot more sense so it's not a huge jump forward where you're going to be like wow this is amazing it's almost like most of the improvements are things you don't even notice it's things that you feel like should have been there to begin with 
So it's like if you go into it with tempered expectations, you're gonna really like feel what next gen is. But if you go into it expecting like it's gonna be like Ready Player One and it's just gonna be like full immersive, like you know, it's it, at in every corner it feels like a next gen experience. You're gonna be disappointed. But what I think they aim to do and what is clear Xbox aim to do, it's just they've. I, I think on both accounts, they've really accomplished their goals. And it seems like hearing that BK interview and like kind of what I've gotten out of it, it just seems like it's it's a really worthy upgrade right now. Important question. I like it. Better game, Miles Morales or Astro's Playroom? <laughs> so, and I, I somehow like didn't even mention the controller and I'm not going to go into a whole thing, but the controller is the one thing that is immediately jumps out to you is like unique and Astro's playroom takes advantage of the controller. So you, the, it uses the adaptive triggers in a really way. Like you'll pull it down halfway and you, it'll stop. And then you have to push it through that to like reach up to like grab the next rock. Miles Morales, it doesn't really take advantage of it, but playing that game in 4k 60 frames per second is really cool. And if you put it in the fidelity mode, you get that ray tracing, which is kind of like, it's it's cool. It's kind of like, I don't remember if you remember at the beginning of PS3 where everyone put lens flare and everything. That would probably stand out to you more, Brian, if you like work in like video editing where everything, it was like, oh my God, the most dramatic take in like a movie. So it's like- it's cinematic. Yeah, so there's like things with the ray tracing and if people don't know what it is, essentially is, is the consoles can now generate light individual light rays so it behaves how it would so like a reflection in like a really smooth ground would would be a reflection but there are instances where it's like i'm looking at the ground and the light reflection is brighter than the original light source so it's like all right that's cool it's dramatic but like let's tone it down a bit that looks really (laughs) cool and it can like when the lighting on characters behaves naturally like it does create a bit more of like an authentic feel like and that adds to the emotional moments of the the scene. So, like some of those Miles Morales cutscenes and those peaks of the stories, like really feel impactful because it just looks that authentic. Which is kind of like why the graphics of Last of Us added to that. And we kind of touched on that. Go listen to our Last of Us episode if you haven't already. But all of that to say, you got to go with Miles Morales. I mean, it's it's a great Spider-Man story. They've added to the last game in a really great way. And it, it is a really great entry point for the PS5. Next question. I, uh, I don't have a question, but I do have a comment. Everything you're saying about how gaming is completely disrupted by all the load times and the antiquated technology of the last generation makes me think about how gaming has fallen behind the rest of the technological world that we live in where we get uh, new new web apps that auto-update. Yeah. We get new phones, new OSs, new, new computers all the time. And so everything is much faster. Internet is getting faster. We're going to get 5G soon. But the gaming industry, the console industry, is working off of this old model where we have to wait 7 to 10 years for a new piece of hardware that is going to get outdated sooner than everything else around it 
Unless um, you buy, get a, like a gaming PC, right? But then you're exactly. spending like $1,500. But so exactly. that puts Sony in a weird spot because if you want just the latest, greatest, best hardware, just get a PC. Like console is not for you. If you want something full accessibility, you have two young kids, you're just trying to like take the most advantage. Like it really seems like the Series X is um, like the move. So like that, where does that put the PlayStation 5? So it's not the best hardware and it's never going to be. And it's also not the most accessible. So it's kind of like it, the first party games are obviously a big draw. I guess the controller is a big draw, but it's just interesting. It's like it's still all the they said that they expect 75 percent of people to buy PS5 that will be coming from PS4. 75 percent. So it's kind of just like, well, what are they really going for? And it just seems like they're they're doubling down on like the smooth first party experience that all seems to work really well. It almost strikes me like an Apple product. It just seems like everything works well together or works smooth. It's all about that user experience. And it's just like you, when you buy into one part of that ecosystem, the other parts really seem to make more sense to you. Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean... You know, like when I get a PS5, I'll be able to transfer all my PS4 games, some of which were transferred from PS3 content. You know, this continuity, like, I mean, you summed up exactly why I'm still going to get a PS5. Like, I have a PC that I can play games on, but when it's all said and done, I'm a part of the PlayStation Sony ecosystem. All my homies play PlayStation, all my games I've invested in the PlayStation. So I have little reason to, I have little incentive to switch out. So, yeah, and the first party games are like, you know, the first party games are enough to engage me to where I'm like, all right, well, I don't feel like I'm missing out either. Like, that's a good sale. They expect like under 5% of people to be from people that have consoles and are now buying a PS5. So it's like they're really, it's like they're really just trying to level up the PS4 experience rather than like create something brand new. Besides the controller, which is like an interesting thing because it's like, you have to develop and i think it was bk saying it like if it's a cross-platform game you're not going to take advantage of that controller so much so it's like not only are we fully invested in these first party games as kind of the flagship of our console but like we're actually going to now have hardware tied into it so hopefully it's not going to go the way of those i think he was talking about like the switch like crazy vibrations where it's just like it's not worth it for developers to take advantage of that hardware but it, you can't really imagine that happening with how much they invested into first-party games on um, PS4 and how huge those games were for the console. So it's really hard to, I think, judge right now, but the day-to-day usage of the console, and I'm going to keep like hammering that point, that is what feels next-gen, not like the graphics in a moment or like anything that it can do. It's just the, the small things really add up to be a much better experience. Yeah, it fits better into your lifestyle. Yeah, but not as good as the Xbox seems to. So even mm. after listening to that interview, I'm like, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you decide you don't want that PS5, holla. Yeah, well, I mean, that Game Pass That's actually sounded really cool for someone I like me. I didn't know right? it like, was new games. I think Brian's, Brian's question, though, is important, right, for them to figure out, are these long generation cycles worth it? um for them right like on the on the plus side you get developers who can get really comfortable with like how does this actually how do i actually maximize and utilize these consoles and i know that every person playing this game is going to have a great experience or the same experience at least and obviously like for the past couple generations 
Microsoft and Sony have both come down on like, well, it's still worth it to like have that stable platform so that developers can create like and and to use their creativity to the fullest, right? Now, does that change though, right? Because like you said, right, a new iPhone comes out every year and that doesn't necessarily break old iPhone software, right? Or old apps. Or but whatever. they never market it as from the lens of accessibility or you can use all your old devices. It's always like we have this new feature. You're going to want this new hardware to use it. But I, I think my last, last, last thing is it just seems like they're going that Apple route of like, we're going to essentially like try and silo ourselves where it's like our stuff might not work is not the most accessible. It might not be the most compatible, but the experience is so good. It warrants you buying into the silo. And once you're in there, you don't want to get out. I mean, that's true for all of us, right? Like we're completely blind to Xbox series X information. And that's very telling about how into PlayStation all of us are. And And all of us try to get the PS5 too. So like we're not off that train at all. I feel great about that. I think, Mike, I really appreciate you trying to like translate what your experience is. And so few people have been able to Mm -hmm. actually get hands on with the the PS5. If they're at Best Buy, they're just lighting themselves on fire because they put them in a plastic box. Uh, You know, so good times with that. Let's go on to the next segment, I think. That'll be good. We'll we'll have to keep checking back in with you as more games release and as as more people get their you know hands on and we'll start to see you know like what the next generation's red ring of death is mm-hmm. um, you know that. in the next couple of months. So we'll see how the early adopters shake out. Um, we did want to uh, kind of recap or at least give some thoughts on the Mandalorian episodes two through four for season two. Um, the last time we talked about it, we had seen season one. We got to see. Um, Boba Fett's armor, but not Boba Fett. No, we did see Boba Fett at the very end. Yeah, I guess at the very end, we you know we saw him, uh, and they left us hanging about how he'd be. Uh, Spoilers are coming for sure. So if you're not uh, caught up two through four, make sure you're you're uh, skipping this section. What do we think about Mandalorian season two so far? We're probably about halfway through. Last last season was eight episodes. This one. So if we're at two, you know, one through four now, um, we're halfway through season two. I mean, I can go on about this all day. So I think we maybe let's, Brian, I think we should start with you. And then I can just go into a full lore wax poet. <laughs> Did Brian bring his hater aid and his hater pants? You know, uh, so last night uh, I wanted to watch episode 10 of Fargo. But I knew that we were going to record this podcast. Wow. Needed to watch Mandalorian wow. season two, episode so four. Proud. Committed. Committed. And I, I like this kid. I mean, I and I told Anna, my wife, my Anna, not Mike's Anna, I think. <laughs> and I'm like, we got to watch this. And she's like, are you sure? It doesn't like, sound like you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> and that is kind of how I am feeling at the end of season, at the end of having watched episode four that, you know, I I enjoy Mandalorian to some degree, but it's not something that I have to watch every week. And I wow. do feel like it's that show that, I, you know, I can do other things during that show oh, as it transpires. Truly couldn't possibly be me. Which is the way that Wes described Legend of Korra, and I am so aghast that he would make that kind of 
assertion. Yeah, yeah, I did not like that. That that is sacrilege, and I know now I'm now I am committing Star Wars sacrilege. So have you? But I just can't. Uh, from episode to episode, like they're sort of interesting. I sort of like the characters. Wow! Like there's have you there's seen tidbits any? of lore that are fun. Oh, you know, I, I like this whole idea of like oh, it hurts. harvesting the the child's mm. blood and whatnot. That's cool. But at the end of the day, I I just really want some characters that I feel a hundred percent. Like I just gotta, I want to be with them through their their story through and through, and I'm the the show has not gotten me there yet. I am I'm actually switching sides here. I'm actually kind of starting to get into Brian's camp after four episodes of season two. Now I do think they have four more episodes to land the plane, but right now I I am you're, Brian. I you're am not, not even. Super... Are y'all excited for the next episode? Or is I this, don't know what it's about. What is the next episode? Do we know what it's about? Do they hint at it? Yeah. They, all right, all right. So my question for both of y'all is: Have you seen either of the animated shows? I have not. Oh well, yeah, that's a fair. So that's gonna be. So it's interesting because last time we were talking about, oh well, they've done such a good job of catering to people who are into the lore and people who are not into the lore. I'm more into the show than I ever have, and y'all are kind of waning from it. So Savannah, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, it's like I'm. Just they have taken it in the direction where it's clear mm-hmm. like they're way more now being direct about bringing it into the lore. So before I go yeah. into it, I want to hear what you have to think about it, Simon. So it's funny. Every time you say the word lore, you owe me five bucks, Mike. Every time. <laughs> Add it to the Hate that word. <laughs> no, but um, you know, it's funny, Mike. I, when I was texting you the other day. That's actually what I wanted to bring up was... um. I was texting Mike after one of the Mandalorian episodes, after episode, the most recent episode, or like the most third, you know, the more recent ones. And I think that this is similar to like how I think it might be hard for some people to get into the MCU, where like to like to Brian's point about characters he wants to connect to, they're showing all these cool characters and hinting at them, but the only way you can appreciate them is if you've already consumed previous media. So like Boba Fett appearing has weight because if you watch Clone Wars, you watch Boba Fett deal with his dad dying, all the crap that gets him to that point. So it's like, oh man, I'm invested. Same with Ahsoka, same with Bo-Katar. Like these characters have had meaningful development and that's dope and we connected to them, but it's not in this series. So for me and Mike, dope, the connection's already there. And I think for a fair amount of the audience, that connection is there. But clearly for maybe like West for you, Wesley, for Wesley and Brian, for y'all two, there's no connection. There's no pretense to that relationship that you and the other viewers have. So it literally just looks like random pop up characters and there's no, and you know, and then we've talked about how the Mandalorian is he's intentionally done as like a minimalist character to see other people's stories. But the problem is that a lot of the character stories, you had to have watched previous media to have seen the story. 
So it's it's like, and it, I guess like the MCU is the appropriate comparison because I know people who saw like Infinity War, Endgame, were like, oh, I don't really get it. Like it was fine, and like for like people that love those movies, it's like in some of those moments, like literally just Thor appearing out of nowhere, and you absolutely lose your mind, you know. And that's the same thing with the Mandalorian. So it's like. I don't need to build the relationship with like Bo Katan because like I've seen her in Clone Wars and I've seen her in Rebels. So like as soon as I saw that armor and I like live text each episode with my friend Kari, like we watched them on the Disney Plus party feature, which is a cool feature that anybody that's interested in like sharing that content should use. But like we both freaked out as soon as we saw that armor. Um, because it's like we knew who that character was and what she meant for Mandalore as a whole. Same thing when, like, it, at the end of episode, um, at the last episode, or episode three, excuse me, when Bo-Katan was like, go find Ahsoka Tano. I absolutely lost my mind because <laughs> I've watched Ahsoka in all of Clone Wars and then, like, when she's just an amazing character in Rebels. So, like, I've been, like, waiting for this show to kind of, like, begin to dive into the real, the L word of Star Wars um, but then they didn't watch even her give it up. to her in the. She didn't even show up in the next episode. No, she didn't. Well, but we always point? knew. What's, why are they just teasing always us? Always knew this episode was going to be a side quest. Like and this is what I texted Savan. I was like, we were expecting it to be like a, a a frog lady side quest, and it was not at all like that. Episode like really showed the motivations of what Giancarlo Esposito's character is doing. So they're trying to like farm the blood. And when they said M count, like I think I texted you that Savon too. Like now mm-hmm. they're bringing in midichlorians and like they're really getting into like the L word of the prequels <laughs> and everything. Mythology. We could go with yeah, mythology. the mythology, the Star Wars, the world. Mythology. So it's like that episode absolutely blew me away. It was a. 30 minute set piece that also progressed the story like it's really interesting to me that like that is the episode that lost y'all because it seems like that's the one that drives the story the most and has the most action by far than out of any episode but it's like that i am more excited about this show than i ever have and i think like now we're gonna start like really like the it's just going to be turned up to 11, I think, on all accounts. So it's it's interesting so this that is, it's born. Yeah, so this is a bad take on my part, and I will fully own it. It's like when when I'm watching The Wire, like season one and season two, you know, I mean, I don't know how many episodes there are. It's like 10 or 14 or whatever. It's not very many. But like the first part of the series is so hard to get through, right? Like you're just watching them do nothing, be idiots and like not do anything. And they're just like not, you know, they're not interesting or they're not redeemable, I guess. Maybe not. They're not interesting, but none of the stories seem to match up, right? Like you're just introduced to 40 characters all at once and you don't know who any of them are. And like by episode, you know, six, seven, eight or whatever, nine, 10, the last few episodes, it actually, it comes together and it it really like pays off and you like appreciate the buildup and the, the, the way that they did it. So I I think I can I'm trying to give it more chance because I'm like yeah like this could actually like all come together but I'm on <laughs> Brian's I'm on Brian's thing about like the first few episodes of this season have really been like just yeah here's a random character here's a random character here's a thing and then they'll like you know they'll tease you a little bit about something that does seem to to point to the bigger picture and like I've kind of had you you guys fill me in on you know what is this dark saber business what who is Bo-Katan and what's her her relationship with 
Mandalore, the planet, and also, you know, Mandalorians in general. And like, we're starting to see, you know, the smaller pieces, but the fact that we haven't got to what is the actual conflict or thing happening here. And he keeps saying, I've been quested to like, but we have take, take baby Yoda to the Jedi, but we don't, we like, don't know the stakes. Yeah, and we we haven't been introduced to like where are the Jedi? What are they doing? Like, are they waiting on Baby Yoda? We don't know, right? But all of that would be super interesting to know, like what actually is happening on the other ends of this thing in these different places. And I think that would actually like hype it up for me a little bit more. Like, what does it mean for him to be able to get there? This right? is and the like, first real yeah. impasse we've reached doing this show. Because no, like, no sense of urgency. Is that what you're saying? The show's over from here. We're done. <laughs> We're breaking the <laughs> Um Yeah. I think that's I a think fair that's a good point. way to put it. I think that's a, they're like slowly building, right? Yeah. Like And we're but, twelve episodes in. Yeah. And I still don't know but you do. anything about him. About no, who? that's a valid that's a valid point, bro. Like even if the whole point is like, okay, I gotta deliver the baby, like okay, that's cool. I can okay with that. But even in like any video game, whatever, if there's like a delivery fetch quest type deal, there are stakes. Like if he like, okay, there was the part when the pirates and the thing ate the baby. What happens if that baby just got ate? What happens? <laughs> exactly. I'm, no, I mean like like, okay, not, but- like 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 I care, but like what's the but like what's the consequence? You know, like other things. Hey, the consequence is that we lose the war, that so and so dies, that blank blows up, and maybe to maybe they'll build up to it, but like. That's a fair point, man. I'm sitting here like, all right, they got this baby, and like at first, like you know, what's the? And maybe they're hinting at it, but I'm I, that fog I was stakes. pulled back because now when Bo-Katan was talking to him, now we understand he's truly in a cult that's like been keeping information from him, and that even other Mandalorians are like, well, like y'all are kind of out there. So like they, that's why they don't know about the Jedi is because like they like don't really like bring in outside information and like they're fully like isolated so i think that for me like and what i imagine people that weren't super into the the mythology of it would have been like oh i want to learn more about like what is the watch and we know what the watch is from the shows and we know like what death watch is and how that all led into probably what essentially became yeah but like most people don't so i guess like that they really tried to use that Bo-Katan moment and I thought she'd be a recurring character it seems like she's not gonna be but they planted in her they planted her there to kind of like bring in other Mandalorians bring in Mandalorians that aren't a cult and help you understand that like oh our character who like we're growing attached to like he's actually kind of pretty out there in the Star Wars world so now we're gonna begin to unpack like why do they not know who the Jedi are and what we'll learn is that because they fought the Jedi multiple times, like during the Clone Wars and things like that. But you got info they didn't got. So really, the real question is like, how do Wesley and Brian feel about that? Because when they introduce Mandalorians, we already know what it is. We have the context. You know, what did y'all see when y'all see people dressed like them come up and start blasting stuff? I mean, I thought it was awesome, but but it wasn't like mind blowing. It's cool, like you're just like, but, but yeah. yeah. It wasn't like like what kind of questions did y'all have? Yeah, I sent my questions to Mike. Right, like Mike, I was like, okay, so. Who are the watch? And I, you know, you could tell like, okay, there was clearly like a split there, but I was like, so is, is Bo-Katan trying to take over Mandalore? Is she trying to restore Mandalore? What is 
her actual like motivation here and what are her intentions and like how do how should we feel about her that wasn't ever clear and that's fine like as long as that pays off somewhere down the line where we realize like actually Bo-Katan is not going to be his mentor or she is going to be his mentor right like those things need to come out at some point otherwise it's like why did we have this ambiguous character for no reason right like then just make her like a one-dimensional character and be like super good or super evil and like let's move on from her but the yeah i don't know i mean i just i did have a lot of questions and i i'm starting to worry that like they're just posing a bunch of questions through this whole series and they don't really have an interest of getting us to the answers within a reasonable amount of time right like i don't want to invest eight years in this just to find out like baby yoda's had one parent <laughs> so you don't think like now that we know that what moff gideon's main thing is and why they want baby yoda that doesn't kind of assuage any of your issues with the show because doesn't that kind of give like a mo for the big bads it doesn't give an mo to mando himself though and and for his relationship with Baby Yoda. And I think, to me, that's, like, the biggest issue. But he's, like, in a cult. And they're like, oh, well, part of the cult is you need to do what we say. And we're requesting you to go take him home. But that's mm-hmm. just something that another character said in another episode that felt like another side quest. And so we don't, we don't really know what the gravity of any of these statements are throughout the series. And like to me, they are they do open up interesting mytholo- mythological questions, L word questions <laughs> um, that I I hope they answer at some point. Um, but it still leaves me wondering why, like what, what, like why, why should I be invested? Why is Mando invested? Why, like why, why is he even? Why does he even care to follow through on this? quest that he's been tasked with that that feels a little arbitrary see i'm more clear on that though i'm more clear on that to me the past few episodes have made it clear that the idea of parenting and the idea of family is becoming really important to him and so they are stressing the idea that like baby yoda is now his child and so you are doing everything you can to make sure that your child has the best possible outcome and in his mind, he's like, I need to get him to the Jedi. That's his people or whatever. And that's going to give him the best chance to succeed, right? And in the same way that in The Last of Us, there's no reason for Joel to necessarily protect Ellie, right? But he comes to see her as like his protectee. And so he's going to look out for her and make sure that she has the best possible outcome. And so that motivation I get. What does? But Mike, you asked about like, well, do I understand now like Moff Gideon? And I don't think the answer is clear. Like, I don't understand. I mean, even I was like, so what are, like, are the people in the back to, are they going to be in the suits? Are the suits robots? Are they, you know? And then the other part is like, what is his, what is his end goal or his game, right? Like, he's obviously part of the Empire, but he's wielding this dark saber. So is he, you know, also like part of this other, you know, other groups um, like either the Sith or Jedi or not, right? And then what's in it for him, right? Is he just trying to run something selfishly for him so he can profit or is he more of a religious zealot and he's trying to bring peace and order to this area of the galaxy? Like none of that has been made clear. And like you said, we're 12 episodes in, 
And so I think, yeah, I think it, it just feels like it's not quite coming together yet. And it may still do it. I'm just starting to feel like, you know, even the frog episode, man, like I rewatched it again today. And like I was like, ah, like this episode is super boring. It is two or three. Fun. So uh, the second one, is, the one with the frog is the or, most where they got the sp- attack by the spider. Yeah, I, I rate that one pretty lowly. This one most- episode and we can get out of this after this because i'm gonna burst into tears while y'all talk about (laughs) basketball the most recent episode do y'all like rate that above average like if you if you like thought about the average for every episode is that an above average episode or a below average episode i thought it was about average yeah i thought like i I mean i liked it it was it was good as an episode i'm at like nine out of ten to me that's the best episode of the show period but I think the episodes build off of the previous ones, which can like heighten them. And for me, it just, you know, it's another episode where it lost steam. Um, but I, I mean, I guess I, I like some of the tidbits that they hinted at. It's, it's, but that's I mean, all it was. It was tidbits. It's like they, they ran into a base that was like supposed to be unguarded or, or like old. And then they ran down a narrow hallway, Did, shot a bunch of stormtroopers, found out that actually it was like a lab. But we didn't really get to see the lab. We just saw people in back to chambers or whatever, you know, the, the water chambers. And then they ran to. away. Do you feel um, like it's just another side quest? Is that what your, your takeaway from the episode was? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are side and they quests left that us have exposition. It's, so. it's crazy to me we had such different takeaways from that. Because, like, totally organically outside of the show, I texted Savon, like, this, and I think I even wrote it down in the notes. I was like, I was expecting a side quest and didn't get that at all. So, I know, it felt like totally a side quest. Literally, they take a detour. He's not going to the Jedi planet. He says, I have to get my ship fixed. Yeah, well, I thought it was just going to be like a series of misadventures of him trying to get his ship fixed. And it ended up actually progressing the what, or at least in my opinion, it progressed what the villains were trying to do. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting yeah. just like some silliness happens. So, I mean, like regardless of who's right or wrong, it's interesting that we <laughs> had such different takeaways from the show. Yeah. In, in typical fashion, uh, it was a side quest that had a lot of exposition in it. You know, like <laughs> I'm serious, like because you're right. It was like a, they did, it was the definition of a side quest. But it turns out to be that side quest that also hints at some bigger things. But in the end, it was still its own thing. Like, that information was cool to us as the viewer, but it doesn't really change what the Mando has to do or his day-to-day or his status quo. And in that sense, it is a side quest. But I I enjoyed it. I liked the Spider episode, though. But I thought that the most recent one was average. That's... Not, and that's not a bad thing just, at all. No, it's it's not, that's not a slight. I love it. I gotta watch it again. And I think the next. I'm interested to see what y'all think about the next one because it's the only one written by not John Favreau, I believe. So, I, oh, interesting thing about episode four, directed by Carl Weathers. Yep, and that's it has a wrestler in it. I think Wesley had that note. Is a wrestler in it? Isn't Sa- isn't Sasha Banks a wrestler? That's episode three. Yeah, so she's, oh, she's one the, of the other Mando. she's one of the Mandalorians. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh. yeah, so she Sasha Banks. I don't know anything about wrestling. I just knew that she was. Uh, I looked her up because I was trying to find out who the other two were, if they were anybody you know special. Uh, Costca Reeves. I think she's a new character. I don't think she's been yeah. in anything before. And then um, the other Mandalorian, the the um, guy Mandalorian, his name is X Wolves or Wolves. W O V E S. Wolves. 
wolves. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to end up being like big, big characters. Um, wait, but okay, you said that you don't think Bo Katan is going to be a recurring character. I mean, I, I kind of take that back. I, it's oh, okay. she's right. not going to be in the show immediately. And I mean, but yeah, that's well, I mean, the she didn't appear in the Boba next Fett. show, but she's clearly after the dark saber, which means yeah, I, I think so she, I feel like she, she has to come. She back. will come yeah. back, and yeah. and if and if this show is going into the direction of diving into like the Mandalorian culture as a as a whole and all the different kinds of things, then she'll definitely come back because I think technically she's the one entitled to the throne, and that's mm-hmm. the thing is that. Like even I love the mythology of Star Wars and keeping track of all these Mandalorians and all their different clans. It's like Game of Thrones. He can remember not to say lore, but he can't remember not to curse. God damn, it's in the Bible. (laughs) Um, It's it's hard, and it's like I had to look up like because she's been in two shows, like eight seasons. Like it's hard to keep track of. So can I add one quick thing? Because I'm gonna cry. No one liked episode two with the spider planet. <laughs> I I want to say I loved it. What'd you like about it? Savon just loves frogs. No, I mean, I thought that just like one, I just I enjoyed the action and suspense just from a visceral action standpoint. It was entertaining to me, and it didn't feel like a waste of time with that being the bulk of it. Mainly because the beginning and the end with those encounters with the X-Wings and, like, space police were so amazingly done, in my opinion, that, like, that just stands out to me. Like, the standoff in space where you're having that awkward conversation, I'm like, dude, that felt like a conversation you would have with the police. Like, (laughs) dude, the awkward silence is still going to need you to turn on that transponder. And it's just (laughs) awkward silence. And he's just trying to BS the conversation. And then, you know, he, but then they come and save him at the end, but so they're not complete. D- or, but dang it, I was doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually they're, did think they were going to die or not die, but I, I felt the, the anxiety of them being cornered in at the very end of that episode. So I, I do agree with you yeah. that it had its moments. I think it's just where it came in in context of the larger story kind of killed it. Yeah, I can get why someone wouldn't enjoy it, but I guess I just enjoyed how they were really portraying the New Republic and them still doing their jobs and, you know, they were still cool, but then they were badass. Like, the uh, all right, well, you weren't a complete butt during that uh that that prison break, which to me I liked because it tied the larger, you know, we talked about how, like, oh, it means him not being a, being a villain, you know, being mean paid off paid off for him. Like, I appreciated that, even though someone probably doesn't just want to watch spiders chase them in the ice for, like, you know, 40 minutes. Like, I, I can understand why that's not what someone wants to see. But if you want to see that, watch Primal. <laughs> but I just love that. Uh, Yeah, that was just a, a high point of this season for me, the encounters with the space police. <laughs> Savannah is very in tune with uh that's a whole nother show in the works please that's Disney plus 2021 Disney Star Wars God Tatooine 911 Mando spends a lot of time in pubs for someone who doesn't take his helmet off and can't drink he drinks under the thing oh watching him eat soup that was terrible he'd have to do that every single bite every single The logistics of this are just horrible. Man, well, he's he got to be he can real take, thin. They can take it off if there's no living thing that can see them. 
but yeah, just baby. <laughs> um, he eats I want to say two things. Um, one is more substantial, which is I do think right this unveil like the the different ways we've been exposed to Mandalorian culture and history, um, is cool. I wish there was more of it. I think is is what I would say. But right, the fact that and you, I think Mike, you talked about this earlier, right? They take their helmets off right away. And he's very suspicious of them because he's been told his whole life, right? You don't take your helmet off. And so we're starting to learn that like there's different factions of Mandalorians. There's different like experiences of being a Mandalorian and there's different ways to do it. And so it's not just like, oh, all the, uh, what was the planet where um, the people made the clones? Camino. Skinny white. Right. So there, I mean, we don't, we don't get to know them. So we just assume they're all these like, scientists and weird spiritual creatures you know we so it's cool to see that like hey we're gonna actually dive into these this culture this people is actually a diversified it's not monolithic right and i do wish we got more of that and i hope they're going into that um so that's my substantial comment i think about this right is and that and then it'll get brian what he was talking about which is he said last episode that mando is probably gonna need we need his face to actually be there right like to really connect with him deeper I mean, my guess is they're going to that place, right? Like probably the last episode, he's going to take his helmet off and we're going to be like, oh, what a big moment. And he's going to like leave the old way behind in some way, right? Or, or his way behind. Yeah. Anybody got any other thoughts so far that we haven't talked about or, or little tidbits that didn't fit our way into our conversation? Yeah. Uh, kind of to briefly tie back to the MCU thing, the MCU, Endgame, Infinity War all managed to succeed and be extremely popular, well-regarded, despite the fact that you had to do absurd amounts of pre-work, in my opinion, to appreciate it. I never went into one not having seen it, but I've seen all the movies, so I didn't have any missing context. I'm curious to see what other shows, including, like, clearly future Star Wars programming is going to do, where they want to make it feel like a connected, lived universe. So how do you do that? but also make it to where people who are new viewers don't feel overwhelmed or don't feel like they're missing out. I'm very curious because clearly that's a thing that's happening with the Mandalorian right now. Mike and I are having different experiences because we understand background that y'all wouldn't have as new viewers. I'm curious to see how they uh, reconcile that down the season and with future Star Wars stuff. Yeah, we'll see how uh, WandaVision plays out too. How are they going to deal with this question? Yeah, for sure. Hey there, Confidently Wrong listeners. This is Wesley, and I'm editing this show. I'm actually going to make the decision to take our NBA free agency discussion and release it as its own side bonus content episode. So go ahead and look for that in the feed. We'll now go ahead and fast forward through that and get to the rest of the show. Returning now. All right, anyways, um, so... That wraps up our show, Confidently Wrong. This is episode nine. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at confidently underscore pod. Thank you to BK for being our guest and uh, giving us a little window into the Xbox world. Leave us reviews, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, be have a ha- happy, safe um, Thanksgiving, guys. Don't get COVID. Wish your families well or whatever you guys do. Um, me and Jen will be actually just doing our own thing, uh, not with family, but I'm sure we'll get on the, uh, you know, the FaceTime or, or something like that to check in with all of our family around the country.